Welcome on in. I don't know what episode it is. I can't keep track, but we call it in contention, and this promises to be contentious. This is the podcast with the Godfather and the Godson, Gordon Monson and myself, PK. Gordon, how the heck are you? I'm good. Who are you the Godson of? You. <laughs> Come on! I thought with that uh, with that upbringing you had back in Jersey, you might have had a godfather. Back oh, I do. There. Yeah, I absolutely, I do. I am the godson of Gordon and Rose Giroux, ironically. And what's your relationship to them other than that? They would be my mother's younger sister. My mother came from a big Italian family of ten kids. And I think she was uh, seven, and I think I said younger, but my Aunt Rose is just about 18 months older. Of all the siblings that she had, they were the closest. And for a good while back in New Jersey, they were my next-door neighbors, my Aunt Rose and my Uncle Gordon. My Uncle Gordon died of like 51 years of age uh, of a heart attack. My Aunt Rose has been living, and is still living to this day, and she has since moved out and retired out to Scottsdale and uh, is 90 years old, still drives herself, does her own thing. I got a lot of longevity on the Italian side. My Uncle Sonny just celebrated his 98th birthday. Good for him. And man. he still drives and still has all of his faculties going on. My Aunt Rose, she had a son, Gordon. So Gordon II was my cousin. His daughter, Mandy Giroux is a singer and a dancer and has put out records and had a show with Miley Cyrus and it was called Miley and Mandy. Oh, yeah? Yes. <laughs> and uh, she has hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. She would be my second cousin. Right. And so her grandmother would be my Aunt Rose, my mother's sister, my godmother. So, yeah, they now uh, grew up uh, in Arizona and moved out uh, to Los Angeles to pursue this career that she has in the entertainment field. Is she still going? Yes, absolutely. Mandy Giroux. And go, Look it up. Yeah, it's Follow out there. And they, and they had, yeah, she was uh, Instagram had the show with Miley Cyrus. Her agent, you may have heard of her. Her agent is Chris Jenner oh. of the Kardashian <laughs> clan. Most people they all have. live together. No, not together, but they all live close by in Calabasas. Ah. Which nice is out area. there, Thousand Oaks. My cousin Gordon, I've told this on the on the air. He uh, owned a uh, start; it still does a helicopter business. And for many years, he based himself in in Scottsdale. But for many years, in fact, he still does it, but he doesn't travel as much anymore. He would come up and teach helicopter flying at UVU, and he would stay down at the Provo Marriott like three days a week. And for many years, he taught that. And you can look it up. It's still, he, they still do it. It's just the company has risen to the point where he doesn't do the individual teaching anymore. Where do you, where does his choppers fly out of? I assume the Provo Airport. Oh, all right. But yeah, he was listening one time. He drove home. He went back and told his mother. He was driving down to uh, Orm there for UVU. And he, he told his mother, he said, uh, Ma, we would call him Ma, Ma, I'm driving down to... Orem, and I'm listening to sports radio, and it just sounds like my cousin Patrick. <laughs> she said, you dumb bleep, that is. <laughs> That's funny. And they had a Christmas party down in Scottsdale when they flew down, and all the people from UVU who were in the program were down there, and my aunt was going, do you know PK, uh, sports radio up in Salt Lake? Yeah, yeah. 
I'm his godmother. <laughs> <laughs> better be careful who you tell that to around here. Uh, well, most oh, people cool. like me, unlike you. I think they like me. Oh, of you, course. You, you, you have a you know more of a surly reputation. Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, All right. I've softened as I've gotten older. You still like to think you're the hardcore. I'm no longer the hardcore. I'm, I'm just, not hardcore. I'm just I'm a, a fan. Bear, man. I'm a fan who's having fun with it. Yeah. And that's all I want to do with the sports the way it is now. I have fun with it and I run with it. And to me, it's entertainment. I don't necessarily care who wins and loses, but I am a fan of their teams. So it's okay there. So those are my famous relatives. Do you have any famous relatives, Gordon? No, but I think my 16th grandpa back <laughs> in time was like supposedly the king of England or something wow. like that. <laughs> Beats me. I don't know if that's true, if that's just a story. But uh, no, nah, that's about it. Uh, okay. Uh, that's my... Uh, One last question. Do what? most people who are uh, back in your neighborhood growing up in Jersey, do, when they retire, do they stay home? Do they go to Florida or do they go to Arizona? Well, it's interesting. The my, You know, my older sister, and you've met my... I have two living siblings. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, Can she cook up some Italian? That is my... They're both older than me, but that would be the younger of the two. Uh, Janet, my oldest, my older sister, the firstborn of my father and mother, who's also named Pat. We call her Patty. Uh, she moved out to Arizona, and so she started the trend. She was the first one. She had only like maybe 20, 21, 22, because her, she's remarried. But her husband at the time had a sister who lived in Phoenix. And so they moved out. And then like three years later, I moved out. My parents sent me out to um, live with them to start eighth or ninth grade, high school. And then my parents followed uh, in January, four years after that. So when I was graduating high school, my other sister moved out. They all have lived there all that time. I moved away in the 80s. Uh, but they all moved in the 70s. And then my Aunt Rose's oldest daughter, who was of the same age. In fact, it was my sister, my cousin Debbie, and then my sister Janet. Boom, 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 boom. Three consecutive years. She moved out to Scottsdale. And then, so my Aunt Rose, their family started to trickle out. So someone was selling, saying, hey, this is great out here. Sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine why people move out there. They're moving out there for the sun. And then my cousin Gordon moved out and uh, started this helicopter school, married, had children. They since moved to Calabasas to pursue this career for their daughter in entertainment. And he, the helicopter school, has done extremely well. He lives in Calabasas. I've seen his home. It's amazing. He has a helicopter landing area in his backyard. His next-door neighbor is Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So, and then one of my mother's, the youngest of the 10 siblings, my Uncle Frankie, he moved out. So there was three of the 10 of the Ciamillos, that's my mother's maiden name, who moved and migrated west. Hmm. And the rest of them have stayed back in the New Jersey area, uh, pretty much the entire state. But yeah, Florida's a big place, as you know, in the East Coast to retire. Yeah. Down those, uh, and there's been many movies of, I was just watching last night, re- 
Cocoon 2, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, those retirees who moved down to Florida. And Arizona certainly has their share of retirees, certainly. We had my father's side, uh, his cousin moved out to Sun City was much older. So he's like a grandfather to me because when we first moved out to Arizona, we had no family. And his name was a Casserly. So my mother, my grandmother on the Irish side, the Kinahan side is a Casserly. That's her maiden name, right? My grandmother, Kinahan, her maiden name is Casserly, right? So Related to Charlie? His son. Uh. Yes. <laughs> Charlie Casserly, well-known yeah. NFL guy yes. for many, many years. So this man who was my, he would have been like my third cousin because he's my father's second cousin, but he was much older. When I was going to high school, he used to come to my games and then yell and scream, and people thought he was my grandfather because of the age difference, <laughs> uh-huh. but he was actually, he wasn't my grandfather. He would have been a, like a third cousin, but he was the only relative that we had out in Arizona all that time, and his son, Charlie, was like a Northwest Region scout for George Allen of the Washington Redskins. And the future uh, is now. So we used to be with them, and he would come out, and uh, we would visit with them. And then he moves up all the, all the way up the rankings. And then he became the general manager of the Washington Redskins, general manager of the Houston Texans. Also, now he's an NFL uh, announcer or an analyst, I should say. Uh, well, I move up to Salt Lake years later, and my father, I'm talking on the phone. Hey, you'd think that now Charlie's a big shot. He would uh, give me tickets to the Cardinals because the Cardinals had moved west, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, he, but he hasn't, and I, you know, I'm wondering why. So I thought, well, I'll solve this. So I called the Redskins' offices. I speak to Charlie Castley, please. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same name as my father. So they put me through. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I just called. I my called. Call. <laughs> so Charlie, Pat Kinahan here. <laughs> not, not my dad, the son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How are you? How are you, man? Oh, that's cool. I said, well, man, my, my father wants tickets. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What are we, see, you can't get them if you don't ask, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> What's family for? Right. So I hit him up. He said, sure, no problem. <laughs> and, then, and he got him actually for one game. Um, and because uh, my father worked on Sunday, so he had to get off on Sunday. And so he had it set up that he was going to be in the owner's booth, Jack Ken Cook own oh, them nice. but i guess at the last second jack and cook decided he was going to that game mm. so charlie had to scramble he still got him tickets but he didn't get him in the owner's booth <laughs> your dad would love that yeah yeah he would have it would have been high society uh watching a ball a football game was at that time they were playing at sun devil stadium from the owner's booth combined with all the stuff that the owner's booth would get obviously with all the uh, amenities oh yeah yeah so so i guess i have famous uh relatives on both sides real quick uh, you mentioned the cardinals move obviously from st louis has that team been fully adopted now oh, in yes, arizona absolutely yes and the reason i ask that is because do you think pk at any point there will be professional football in salt lake city do you think this market over, I would take 
10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but you think it could happen? Well, you speak professionally. Let's talk about NFL. Yeah. As opposed yeah, to that's what other I mean. Yeah, yeah, not the Stallions. Right. Or... So the NFL football, I, I don't know. It would be all it would be so cool if that were the case, but I cannot say that. I do think from the college standpoint, if you're a college fan, you should hope not. Because I think one of the things that really wrecked ASU football was the arrival of the Cardinals because that became the primary thing. It's all about the Cardinals in the Valley of the Sun and the uh, leftovers ASU gets of the attention. If it's 100%, they get maybe 7 8% of the attention. Mm. It's all about the Cardinals. And if you track the Cardinals came like in 85, 86, from the time the Devils entered the Pac-12 in 1978, I think it was, they were pretty good. People think they struggled early on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They didn't struggle on early on. That's that's a fallacy. And they did not. No, they were knocking on the door four times of getting to the Rose Bowl before they finally got there in January 87. The next year, they go to the Holiday Bowl. That's when their coach took off to Ohio State, so that would have been for the 88-89 seasons. And that's when the Cardinals got took hold. And since then, it's been a slew of mediocrity. The coaches had, you know, they went to the Rose Bowl in, uh, what, 96. Each coach has had a 9 or a 10 win season, but they haven't been able to sustain it. And so are the, are the Cardinals the number one entity by down, far. over by the far. Diamondbacks? Absolutely, by far. Yeah. I, I wonder, yeah, you know, people, have, people have said that, uh, I don't call it the demise of college basketball around here, but uh, certainly a lessening of its stature uh, have attributed that to the Jazz being I here. Think that's, I think when a pro team comes in, it hurts the college teams. Now, you look at some of the best college teams around. What pro teams do they have? What pro team is in Columbus? Yeah. Well, you have the Major League Soccer. What pro team is in Alabama? <laughs> what pro team is in uh, South Carolina? What pro team is up in Happy Valley by Penn State? Uh, Michigan, you know, that, that, that a little bit of an outlier because it's only about 20 minutes away. You come out of the airport. Pittsburgh's not that far from, from uh, Penn State. but Yeah. When you come out of the airport at Michigan, you turn left to go to Ann Arbor. You turn right to go to downtown. My wife's uh, mother grew up there. I'm very much familiar with that area. Uh, but SC has been an outlier, although – their best years recently were when they had no protein. Yeah, that's right. And they were the protein. They were where it's at mm-hmm. at that time. We all know about that. And so I think that the emergence of a protein hurts you. And then once the Cardinals got their new stadium and then they got Kurt Warner, it is all Cardinals. I, you turn on Ryan Hatch, our old program director, is the boss down in Phoenix. And I listen to their station when I go to the gym. Cardinals this, Cardinals that, everything. They obsess over the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. It's all Cardinals. I tell the story of a few years back, the Devils beat Notre Dame in November, a day game at Sun Devil Stadium. They moved to 7-1 two and a half hours before they mentioned it on that Monday. Interesting. Because it was all Cardinals. Here, we talk nothing but colleges. And that's why kids want to come here, and they want to be excited about college football because it's a big, big deal. You're the superstars in our community. Talked to Larry Miller before he passed away. I don't think about, you could have talked to him after he passed away. No, yeah, that would have been a with, bigger story. I've <laughs> not talked with him since, but uh, hope he's doing well. Uh, but uh, he, uh, 
I asked him about the possibility of another major league franchise, whether it's baseball or football, whatever, hockey in, uh, in Salt Lake City. And he said he could see it happening, but it would take a while. And by a while, who knows how long that is. But he said that this market would have to get a team at a bargain basement price. Which isn't going to happen. Yeah, because nowadays, yeah. You, don't, yeah, you don't get those You need stadium, you need team. If it's an expansion, entry, uh, entry fees. Now, I look at it, we don't even have a PGA Tour. And you look at some of the smaller places that have PGA Tours, Memphis. So I don't see it. You and I are running out of time in this lifetime, which reminds me, man. I <laughs> Won't really, happen in our lifetime. I really need to get my act together. <laughs> man, I don't have much longer. Been, We're all day to day, man. You've been telling me to repent, and I have been discarding that advice and we, we all need to I need I to think. jump on that sooner rather than later <laughs> does that work can you get that automatic like at the last second boom all right now I'm good uh, I yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> leave that up to the judges in the sky I don't know I don't know probably not in my case speaking of uh, local college football uh, PK you and I have had discussions about that the place of those college football teams Obviously, Utah is on an upswing now in the Pac-12. There's a, there's a growing interest. So did you see that poll recently? They said that uh, Utah, the majority of college football fans in the state of Utah are Ute fans now. There was a time when that wasn't true. No, not at it, all. It's true now. BYU's obviously their fan base extends beyond the borders of the state, and so they get a lot of uh, fans from outside of Utah. But Utah seems to be on the upswing, and I can understand why young kids growing up now might be drawn toward the Ute program because they get to see Pac-12 teams come in week in and week out and have a competition for the Rose Bowl, all that. And the Ute success of late certainly hasn't hurt them either. BYU, on the other hand, uh, well, some some interests, maybe some weeks, some interests not so high on other weeks. What do you? Where do you think? Well, I where certainly, these I mean, I'd have to are. see where that poll was taken. If it's taken in Salt Lake County, I think you're going to have a more biased uh, thing. But I don't think that there's any question that Utah's program has risen to unparalleled heights in the last 25 years. It's actually way cool to see. For me, as a Pac-12 guy, everybody knows where I grew up. The second portion of my childhood was in Arizona. The first portion was back east. Otherwise, you would have been a Rutgers fan. uh, Yeah, I never was a Rutgers (laughs) fan growing up, no. Interesting for me, I never was a fan of any teams. I just like sports. I never really latched on to following teams hardcore certainly and back east the colleges were almost non-existent yeah. nobody paid attention to the colleges it was all about uh professional right because we had all the professional teams notre dame was a big thing where i grew up because of the catholic association that i had obviously so that was a big deal but the colleges and nah, i didn't pay much attention didn't really become a college fan until i went to arizona state and that's when i became a college fan that was my school those are guys that i'm going to class with and I, I got to know some of them. And you get to know people, you end up rooting for them. To this day, I root for guys that I know personally, particularly here in the state, which now ends up being at most places. At all three of the Division One schools, I know the head coaches as you do, so I root for them. And I know a lot of their assistants, so I root for them as opposed to the individual team. But Utah is the king. There's just It's, it's undeniable right now. The thing about BYU, which I think is – I think you and I may differ. I don't think BYU – 
is in a bad spot. I don't think BYU's spot has changed at all. They are who they are. They are who they've always been. Everything around them has changed, but I don't think they've changed. Uh, This is where I think it has changed. When Lavelle Edwards was there, he had... He had, a, there was a convergence of things going on. I remember when that stadium was half the size it is now. And I don't. And there weren't, you know, it wasn't necessarily selling out. Uh-huh. Lavelle comes along. He builds this thing up in a, in a weaker conference, uh, especially after Arizona and Arizona State left for the Pac-10. Uh, but uh, BYU football was kind of the thing because they won. They won games. It didn't even really matter who they were beating. They were they were winning in the in the old whack. They were in, in the Mountain West, not quite as much, but uh, but that captured the imagination of the fan base, and more and more people came because everybody loves a winner. Everybody wants to associate with a winner. Then after you know toward the end of Lavelle's years, and I remember even Lavelle used to talk about his early time at BYU as being quote unquote the glory years. Then. Uh, I don't want to say the bottom dropped out, but the Croton came in and things didn't go so well. And, uh, and then, of course, Bronco Mendenhall comes along and they go to independence. I, I think there is a difference now, and that's why you see that stadium not as full as it once was. I don't think the program has much difference in the last 40, 50 years. Now, prior to Coach Edwards, obviously, he built the program. He took advantage of the situation. People were starved for a winner. Utah wasn't winning. BYU came along, forward pass. We all know the story. Expand the stadium, winning. The way I look at BYU's program is they've got to get the best or most of the best LDS talent. But they don't do that anymore. They get some of it. They don't get most of it. I still think they get most there's more of the LDS talent. I think they get most of the LDS talent. Now, do they get the best? You can argue the act, the literal cream of the crop is up for debate. Were they getting those guys then? Maybe they were. Are they getting them now? That's up for debate. But they're still getting most of the LDS talent. Okay, uh, okay, we can differentiate between most and best. Yeah. But there are a whole lot of really good LDS players who are going to Utah, who are going to Stanford, who are going to USC. Who are They have options now. They can go other places. Coaches are coming around to the whole mission thing. And if guys want to go on missions, they're not. They're yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think coaches are coming around to the mission thing. There's one coach outside of the state of Utah who's coming around to the mission thing, and that's David Shaw. <laughs> He's come around. Yeah, he We've has. had numerous conversations with him on and off the air when we go down to Pac-12 Media Day. Right. And his assistant, the defensive coordinators, and LDS guy, he's the only one who's embraced it. There's no other, very few, I can't say no other, there's very few other guys. Kyle Whittingham has. Well, obviously. I mean, I'm talking outside of the state of Utah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and Ron McBride did. Yeah. And Urban Meyer was only there for a cup of coffee. So whether I don't know that he had time to, because if you went on a mission and committed to Urban, you never played for him. But Ron McBride, when he got the job, and obviously Kyle and Gary Anderson. So the in-state schools have. Okay. But outside of the state, it's only Shaw. Okay. Maybe that's true. Uh, but the point is that there are really good LDS players who are going 
to other schools now. At a, at a, and I'm talking about the elite players. They have options they elsewhere. Do. I agree. If with that. BYU got ninety uh, percent of those guys. They would be a top twenty team. I, I disagree. Oh, I I don't. Are you kidding me? Look no. at Utah's roster. Look at the good players on that. Guys like Lucky Fotu. You know these these guys are great players. And BYU's not getting a, was, as many of those. Was guys. Lucky Fotu going to go to U, BYU? I don't know that. Well, I, he's LDS. Was he going to go to B? I get that. But what I'm saying is, if BYU go? gets got those kinds of players, then they would be really, really good. Sure, but was were they ever going to get those types of players? Well, they Just did. Because you're they LDS. did back in the day. Yeah, I don't know that they did. They did. They did. PK. When Lavelle Edwards was there. But the record doesn't indicate any different. That's uh, the thing. I, well, it doesn't. Here, well, I don't know. I, I mean, do. Back back in the day, BYU had uh, you know went undefeated and was yeah, but they uh, didn't uh, beat anybody. Or they occasionally beat a decent team. I went back and I tracked it from mm-hmm. 1990. Right, I didn't want to go back to the 80s because it's too far ago. Well, those were the glory too, years. Too long ago. But those but, were the best but, years. But everything has changed. It was going it, inevitably. Things were going to change. If nothing, if they stayed in the whack from 1970, 1985 to 2025, things will change, right? Nothing stays the same. So you got to allow me that, right? Well, yeah, but here, this is what I'm talking about. My frame of reference is looking back at, say, that 83 team and the 84 team, two of the best teams in the history of the school, and they had NFL players on those rosters. They had they had an all-pro Hall of Fame quarterback. You got um, me I mean, on that. Yeah, they, they, they they don't, they're not getting those kinds of guys. Those guys now. don't exist. What LDS quarterback has made the Hall of Fame? What NFL quarter, LDS quarterback has beaten a two-time MVP Super Bowl winner? Nobody. It was Steve Young, and that's it. But they had a lot of other quarterbacks. I mean, Gifford Nielsen, Mark Wilson, uh, and, and all the others. Uh, Bosco. They, they had that run of quarterbacks. We're talking about exceptional quarterbacks who are making a difference. You know, it's a good question. We don't know how good those teams are. I saw those teams play. I thought they were relative to the competition and by competition I don't just mean the conference they were playing in but I mean the landscape around the country they were better than what the percentage is now and the coaching was better I mean they had they had not only Lavelle they had Doug Scoville they had uh, Mike Holmgren they had Ted Tolner they had innovative guys who were at the top of their profession yeah but that was all going to change see that BYU hasn't changed. That, that just proves my point. BYU is underpaying all of those guys. BYU is underpaying their guys now. So nothing, BYU well, well, didn't change. My, that is Everything my point, around though. them changed. That, that, my point but, is BYU is still the same. They're the same that they've always been. Well, yeah, they haven't, they haven't, uh, they haven't gotten with the times. Uh, well, yeah, but they had great coaches back then. I, I understand that. In order for BYU, this is why I think it's a fallacy for BYU fans to get all charged up about the possibilities of their team and independence is because the, the resources aren't invested in the program that are necessary in today's game. But they never were, and they never will be. Uh, there was a period of time when I think they, the, the, when they expanded that stadium, 
Uh, certainly, BYU is committing more resources to its football program so it's than, than almost less? any other team in the, in its region. Yeah, in its region, but that, that, not in the Pac-12. They were in the Pac-10, Pac-8. They were playing lousy teams. You look going back from 1990. I went through every year from 1990 to this year, and their record from 1990, which is a whole decade yeah. of Lavelle Edwards, mm-hmm. against what is now known as P5 competition. They're 38, 39, and 67, and 1. Well, this is my point with what I've been saying, and I've written about this, PK, that BYU is living in, in mythology. It's living in a, a myth, essentially, that people – and this is what's stoked in independence is we're going to schedule all these great opponents, as many as can be lined up, and then expect the fan base to believe that they're going to win. Under these circumstances – they're, they're going to be about – I mean, I think they can win some of the games. We saw them That's beat, all they do. We saw them beat Tennessee. That's all they've ever done. Well, okay, then, then – but what I'm talking about is there needs to be an adjustment in what, what is real and what isn't. And what isn't real is that this team can win 10 games. I think with, most with, fans with understand that. Kind of, I don't know. I, I think, do. I think there are a lot of fans who believe that there's this – the ceiling is high that somehow some kind of miraculous thing can happen where otherwise then why the hell are you an independent? Why are you scheduling like this? Do you want to why? just send your players out there to get their heads kicked in week after week? I'll tell you why. I, I, I've talked to Tom Homo about this as recently as this week after the Tennessee game. Yeah. And? I'll tell you why. Look when they went independent. They had no exposure whatsoever. They were getting killed in recruiting. The Mountain West, on that mountain network, nobody saw them. Bronco, was he would always say the, his first season, the only time he heard any feedback is when they played, uh, was it Cal in the Vegas Bowl? Because it was on ESPN. And so he was leading the charge. We got to get a better deal. So then fast forward, what, six, seven years, and they go independent. At the time they went independent, it was absolutely 100% the right decision. They'd may make more money, get more exposure. It was an absolute no-brainer. Things They're have changed. They're on TV. Yeah, Things right. have changed since then. And then secondly, Tom, and I talked to Tom about this this week. And I said, well, Tom, I saw what you said at that their, their education week at the end of August. He said, I can schedule 10 games. Excuse me. I can schedule 10 wins if you want me to. I can do that easily because obviously you call up New Mexico. You want a home and home? Of course they do. You call up Vegas. You call up Colorado State. I mean, all these places that don't draw well. Cougars come, more people in the stands. It's a no-brainer. So they can schedule all these teams and get these wins easily, just like they used to do. Yeah. There's a reason why Lavelle Edwards, for all his greatness, was 7-15-1 in the bowl games. 7-14-1. That last one, they they went back and re-dug it up. It was 15. And they, it says in the record book, seven fourteen. They weren't one. beating quality teams consistently then. Yeah, they're not beating quality teams consistently now. But if that's true, then why schedule these teams? I'll tell you why. Because the only chance they have to survive competitively is to schedule these teams because they are at such a disadvantage. Lecky Fotu, if you're playing New Mexico, UNLV, and Colorado State every year. And you don't have big games, Lecky Fotu and the like. There is no way they would consider to go to BYU. The reason why these kids considered, because they got Utah, who's in the Pac-12, Oregon, Stanford, on and on. All these places are playing for the Rose Bowl, potentially. 
You need to schedule those because that's going to give you a selling point. We will play Tennessee on a Saturday night in prime time. And then the next week, we'll play SC on a Saturday afternoon on ABC. And then the following week, we'll play Washington on ABC, ESPN, or ESPN2. That's the only way they could survive. If okay, we're so playing Liberty and New Mexico and they have a, 10 of those like like they used to do, and that's how they won most of their games and all their titles, 7-14, and 14, your great coach was 7-14 and 14 against P5 competition mostly. And that's what they are now. Since 1990, they're 39-67-1. and 67 yeah. and one. Yeah. So that's why... They have to schedule to have, and, I, and Tom verified this to me, in order to have any chance at getting anybody who's of any repute, you have to put the big names on there because you're okay. not playing for a conference uh, okay. title. I, I'm going to call BS on that. And and you're, he, ta- you're saying Tom is BS. Yes. Okay. And the reason I, okay, let me, who has the better football program, BYU or Boise State? Boise State. Okay. It's not even close. Boise State. Does Boise State have this, uh, you know, issue? Can no, Boise- they're getting athletes. They're getting guys who can play. They have a great football program up there. Could Boise State go independent? Uh, probably not, but right. uh, I'm not sure BYU can. Well, they because do. Here's they the thing. They are, but what, to what end? I mean, okay, okay. I think you and I agree on a lot of this stuff more than we disagree, and here's what I'm saying. And that troubles me. If... if <laughs> <laughs> If, if BYU wants to be independent, then, then it's fan base, and, and they're going to use that in order to get whatever other athletes they can, if that's their rationale for it, and they get some, a few dollars from ESPN or whatever, uh-huh. and, and then they want exposure, as it were. Yes. But if they lose, what was the record again? Since the 90? Uh, I think it's 39, 67, and 1. Okay, so. Give or take. You're going to lose more than you win. As they always have. Lavella was 7 and 14 and 1. Okay, but now you're playing more of those, so it's going to become more more prominent. And so, so, Mm -hmm. okay, so BYU fans, you're in a situation now where your team is going, in a good year, is going to be around 500. Well, I think the goal is eight wins. They still have some dog teams on that schedule. They you do. Know? They have so, to. So if they, like, as last, Alabama does. Last year is a – yeah, but Alabama has the SEC schedule. Which that, uh, I think is it, completely overrated. Well, it might be overrated. They played New Mexico still, State still, and Western Carolina. And, but, okay, so the point is that BYU last year is indicative of what uh, what they're going looking at I now. think they can get better. I th- uh, your argument – is strengthened by going two years ago. Two years ago, they were absolutely awful. Yeah. It was an abomination. It was the worst program. Gary Croton looked like Lavelle Edwards compared <laughs> to two years ago. But they hired a bunch of high school coaches or kids who weren't or coaches who weren't even in coaching, and they brought them on the offensive staff, and they sucked. Let's call it like it is. So they're still digging themselves out of that. Getting to seven wins last year compared to where they were was pretty good. Now, going forward, they got to find a way to get to eight wins. If they can get in that eight to nine wins under it, as an independent, that is the same as rolling out ten wins during your time when you were coming of age and paying attention to BYU football. I wasn't at the time. I'm not living in Utah. I, occasionally, they were, I, my, my 
knowledge of BYU football really starts with Detmer because that's when it seems like they were on TV, my visual knowledge anyway, because that's when they were playing on TV almost all the time, right? So you saw them. You knew who the BYU quarterback was. So going forward here, I think if you look at it, that's – you have to. I agree with you. You have to lower the expectation. But I think most BYU fans get the days of 10, 11, 12 wins. They're gone. If you want that, step down in competition. Like Tom said, he can schedule you 10 wins, but nobody wants that. You'd rather have a shot at beating Tennessee, even though Tennessee isn't very good. They still had 92,000 people on a Saturday night on ESPN. You want a shot at beating SC. I think t- for, for most BYU fans, it's better to t- have a shot to beat SC in Washington than to have a shot and know you're going to beat New Mexico and Colorado State. But it's easy to argue also that the program is in arrears right now because they, they're they not as good as they once were. Uh, it would be but their why, record doesn't be, indicate otherwise. Would BYU have won the, the Mountain West last year? I know that's completely speculative, but no, I'd because, say no. No, because they're coming out of two years ago when they were the worst they'd ever been. So you, if you go back, they need you got to give them time to dig out. Right. They well, made I, what, some what, horrendous decisions well, two years ago. So no, they wouldn't have won the Mountain West. But that's a leadership issue. See, I think there's leadership problems, and I think there's commitment to resource problems at BYU. Okay. If they want to be a great football program, then you get what you pay for. Okay, but let, really let, let me throw this out at you then, Gordon. Bronco Mendenhall from 07 to 010 won 43 games. He's playing in the Mountain West, right? They won the conference two or three times. Over a four-year period, they're winning 43 games. The worst record they had was 10-3. and three. The resources weren't any better then. Yeah, but the schedule was It less. was easier. It so, was easier. So go ahead and make – if that's what you want, if you want that – Go ahead and make the schedule easier. The only thing that's changed for the Cougars is that the schedule is harder. The that's te- it. I think the teams are, haven't been as good. Well, two years ago, you got me. Yeah, and I think even in Broncos' latter years, he saw the writing on because, the wall. Because, yeah, they went independent and Utah went to the Pac-12. Right. That was the ultimate game changer. Right. He saw, that's why, one of the reasons why he left. Yeah. So my whole point is, though, what are you? BYU needs to ask itself that question. What does that program want to be? Does it want to sell this idea? Okay, you've got a 60,000-seat stadium. You want to be a, a player nationally. You want to be relevant. You want to be on ESPN all the time at, at, a, at a decent hour. Uh, okay, if you're going to do that, then you need the leadership to get that goal accomplished. Well, okay, and, well, okay, and, and okay, so that would be a difficult thing for them to do. Not only that, but there's policy things down there. It's difficult. A lot of the players don't want to go there because they don't want to deal with the honor code. You're lucky folks. Look at his hair. Never yeah. would fly down at BYU. Yeah, and that's. And I haven't asked Lucky why he wears his hair that way, but uh-huh. it's probably for a good reason. Yeah. It's not just and a it's style. It's not going to fly thing. there. Well, uh, yeah. See, this and as is long as he's making quarterback sacks, I think it looks great. <laughs> I like it no matter what. I mean, he looks and he's a terrific guy. I like Lucky Flo too, but uh, a great kid, great family, uh, great background, uh, and so a great player. So, player. as far as I'm concerned, BYU needs to. Right now, it's living in this nether world that doesn't really yeah. explain to be, fans what it what okay. it. I this. I'll make this prediction. If BYU right, doesn't start, I got to write this down. Look, no, wait, okay. we're talking, all, wait, so I don't have to. Let me give you some it. background. Look at that schedule next year. BYU has that is brutal. Mm-hmm. 
That is a brutal schedule. If BYU continues to go 500 or less, or maybe a, just a tad bit above that, over the next 10 years, that stadium will more and more uh, empty out. And you know what it'll be like? It'll be like Arizona. It'll be like Arizona State. It'll be like Oregon State. It'll be like Cal. It'll be like Kansas. And on and on and on. Well, I don't think so, anybody wants to compare their football program to Kansas. Kansas, but nevertheless. So ask yourself. You, you, particular, you make it particular to BYU? There's a whole slew. Actually, more programs are in BYU's situation than not. They're the majority, not the minority, because it's the same 10 to 15 teams who are winning at the highest level every single year. But peep fans want to believe that there's sure hope, do. that there's something to shoot for that's, why that's you, above and beyond. And as it is now in independence, BYU loses a few games. Even if they don't, if they lose one game, then they're pretty. What are they playing for at that? What do you mean point? they're playing to win games? Uh, ASU loses a game or two. What are they playing for? Well, Arizona, what are they playing for? People love Cal, to watch the standings. People love to see how they compare against league okay, opponents. Who's, who's asking them to come into the or league? Do they have an invitation on the table that they said no to? Uh, they could get into a G5 league if they so desire. So that's the solution? Everything's well, solved obviously, then? Obviously, they want to get into a P5 right. league. And that, that, that time will come, what, 2024 yeah, or something? Yeah, and hopefully they get the opportunity, and then they say yes. But until that time, what are they supposed to do? Schedule a bunch of dogs? And then everybody would be complaining about scheduling a bunch of dogs. We're not beating anybody. <laughs> well, at least, at least when you were playing so in the Mountain some... West, you were going up against teams that, you know, the, the Mountain West has better football programs than BYU does. And so you're going up against that kind of competition, and you can at least measure yourself that way. I don't, I don't and if you want to play uh, a handful, maybe three so go back uh, to the Mountain West. level teams, and you can do that. So that's your solution. We've solved the problem. Go back to the Mountain West. Well, that's then you one can, solution. Then you can beat the crap out of a bunch of garbage teams, and I disagree that the Mountain West is better than BYU. Boise State's better than BYU. Utah State, you could argue, is better than BYU. Based on these last couple years, you got me. But I'm assuming that the Cougars get past these last couple years and they go back to what they used to be now. Are you sure about that? No. (laughs) Me neither. Well, once you assume something, by definition, you're not sure of it. Because you would say, I absolutely know that they're going to do but that. But it can be argued that they can continue on in the it direction be. they've been going. You're, you're correct. You're correct. Yes. I can't look into the future. I barely can live day to day to solve my problems. I can't be solving problems in 2025. The one truth is that BYU one absolute fans. truth. The absolute like truth this. is that BYU fans have to adjust their attitudes. And See, I if, think they have. If, if they. If they if they do that completely, then I think you'll see fewer and fewer bodies in the seats. At As the you do Stadium. at the majority of the programs but it's, in but the it's, country. But that's been <laughs> that's been true at Arizona for how many years now? We're talking about a program at BYU that used to average over sixty thousand fans a game, and that's when and, they were playing Wyoming and New Mexico. Right. And if Arizona was rolling out 10, 11 win seasons then they should have stayed in a whack because then they'd have more people because everybody loves a winner. But, but they took but a shot at the big but time see, the, and Arizona, they failed. Where Arizona is screwed up is they, they got into a, a P5 conference and they still didn't make any advancement. I think oh, if, they, they've won if BYU got into a P5 conference, they would get better. 
They would, they would have struggle mm. at first, but I think bit by bit, for the very reason you were talking about before, that Tom Homo told you, you're going to recruit better athletes, just like what's happened at Utah. Recruit uh, them successfully. Maybe five or six kids, and maybe those but five those or six kids, the they, they could be. They could be, yeah. But I don't... I mean, would Zach Moss be at Utah right now if they weren't in the Pac-12? Would he be at BYU if BYU was in the Pac-12? Uh, well, That's the answer. Uh, yeah, That's I, the question. I'm just saying that... The likelihood uh, that, is no. Well, I don't know. If he's an LDS kid and he's a great running yeah, back... Zach Moss he, isn't. I know. Not but, yet, anyway. But those guys... <laughs> we got to wait till Britton Covey gets some more time. <laughs> I got to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> we got we got a, we got a uh, an audience here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I'll go back to my what I said initially, and that is, if BYU could get more of the best LDS talent in the country, which I think they would have a better chance of doing if they were in a P five conference, I then agree. they might be able to keep their heads above well, no, water. But they wouldn't. But though. right now they can't. They wouldn't. Because historically, they never beat those teams with the greatest LDS talent. That 1996 team, like like nine tight ends went to the NFL. I can't even count them all, right? (laughs) They had all this talent. Two. They had all this talent, and they played three P5 teams. They went one and two. But they won 14 games. Yeah, come on, Wyoming. Come on, New Mexico. Come on, UNLV. That's what they always do. They went one and two. They only lost one game that year. What are you talking about? Oh, they're doing two and one. Okay. They lost to Washington. Up at Washington, a very and, good Husky team. And they beat a lousy Texas A&M team, which is what they do. But they also beat Kansas State in the bowl game, which was a, so they were a one really and one. good team. They were one and one. But that's what they do now. They beat those teams occasionally. It's what they do. <laughs> yeah, Nothing the, has changed. They team, still beat but these But the teams team as constituted right now would lose games along the way that that team didn't because that team, that team was probably the second or third best BYU team in history. I can't say for sure, but I can see what you're thinking. I rank it this way. I think the 83 team was the best team ever at BYU. The 84 team, second best, and the 96 team, third. Yeah, I think that 2006 team was actually really good. Yeah, they were good. that was a good team, and too. And I put that 2006 team up against anybody. They were outstanding that year. Not only they didn't just barely beat Kansas State, they walloped Oregon by 30 points. And what's his face? Bilotti saying before the game, they can't compete. And after the game, they can't compete. And they just beat you by 30. (laughs) Shut up, Mike. Come on. I don't think that changes much. Occasionally, they're going to be pretty good. That's what they're hoping for occasionally. Nothing really has changed. They've lost some guys that would help them. But historically, Steve Young, the greatest thing ever, is throwing five interceptions against whom? A P5 team. They're struggling against those teams. They always struggle against those teams. Now the difference is, instead of playing one or two or three, they're playing five. Well, I, th- I think the the three or four interception game was against Georgia, and it that was, was five. That was in Young's second start ever. <laughs> so I mean, he, Steve Young in in both uh, eighty three and eighty. 83 his senior year that was about as good as I've ever seen any and who quarterback they beat ever play. They needed some comeback to beat who Indiana. I mean and Robbie Bosco was all this and, and they beat a 6 and 6 it was Michigan. Missouri. 
Yeah, Missouri. <laughs> Missouri. And Bosco needed a big comeback where he faked an injury so he could look like a hero. I tease him about that all the time. And they beat a 6-6 six and six Michigan team. Come on. Go well, on. it was 6-5 and five before BYU beat him. Okay, well, then, then <laughs> great. Then that, that, that Texas A&M game. But they had some I injuries pump up to that Michigan. Did. In 1996, because Texas A&M hadn't lost a game yet. Well, I agree, with, the first well, I agree game. with what you're saying, that those quote-unquote uh, great BYU teams – we're playing competition that was substandard. And if, if I've learned one thing about Utah going into the Pac-12 uh, from its situation in the Mountain West is that it really is much more difficult to face that kind of competition week after no week. No question. And the cumulative effect. Yes. And, when, and even if you want to talk about Utah, when Utah uh, went undefeated in 2008, that was nice and everything, but – uh, even the 2004 team doesn't go undefeated if it's playing in the Pac-12. I um, agree. So, yes. uh, so it does it does make a difference. Obviously, the kind of teams. You're Finally, playing. we have come to sort uh, some sort of agreement. And I think we do agree that uh, some of BYU's glory years were. There's an asterisk there because they, of the level of competition they were playing. But I do believe that the program has fallen behind a little bit in recent years. And Certainly the last couple. Its circumstances uh, probably have helped lead to that. It didn't just happen by accident. Uh, they need to make some adjustments down there if they want to play uh, – Good to pretty good football. All right, there it is. I'll give Gordon Monson the last word because he's older than me, and plus I've got to take a leak, so we've got to end this. There it is. Thanks for listening in contention. We will have another one posted here in a few days when we do it again. We appreciate it. Goodbye, Gordon. Goodbye.